Ephesians 2, we're going to read from verse 11 to verse 14. And today, uh, this evening, we'll be reflecting upon verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the hands, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Since the reading of the Lord's word to us, let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, because you are our rock and our redeemer. Because of that, O Lord, we bow before you and ask your help. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been looking at Ephesians 2, as you may recall. Ephesians 2, and in this section, beginning with verse 11, Paul does something surprising, I think, uh, in that he asks us to look back at who we are apart from Christ. Now, me, it could very well be, and rightly so, and it's a good thing, it could be that you don't know a time when you have not been a Christian, and that's a very good thing. But for those of us uh, who do, we can look back at that time when we were apart from Christ, and Paul asks us to do that. But more importantly, I think he wants us to reflect upon uh, really where we were when Christ came to the world, uh, where our families were, where, uh, what claim does our family, our folk have on the Lord. And I would, I would suggest that nearly all of us here, we had no claim on Christ. We were not part of his people. Uh, we were separated from God uh, and uh, without hope in the world. And Paul really is asking us to think about that. Of course, in the first generation, uh, the people of Ephesus was just really uh, new and uh, something fresh in their memories, and he wants them to uh, reflect upon that. And as I, uh, the point I made before is, and I think uh, is a very important point, he doesn't do this so that we would fall into despair or reflect upon that constantly. He wants us to do that to see that the work that God has started among us is not our own idea. It came from him. Therefore, it's a sign that he is at work in our midst, and he's the one who's given us this grace of his own initiative. Uh, he has started this, and he will uh, finish it. So Paul wants us to be convinced that our salvation, even though we're not Israelites, uh, when we hope in Christ Jesus, is God's plan, <coughs> and one that uh, he has granted to us because of his plan from all eternity, which is what he had been telling us in chapter 1. Here, he uh, wants us to see it from our own experience. Uh, and so what you have immediately before verse 14 is 
the fact that Christ has brought those who were far off, he's brought us near. So we now are near to God. And this, of course, is the most prominent thing about our lives now, is that we have access to God. The Father has brought us near. He didn't save us to then dismiss us off to some corner uh, room on our own uh, to be uh, neglected by him. He has brought us near to himself that we might have fellowship with the living God through his Son. This is, this is uh, prominent in Christianity, uh, and it is something that Paul is adamant on. We have, in Christ Jesus, been brought near, and we're, we're brought near by the blood of Christ, a way of talking about his sacrifice. The blood, of course, was applied to the altar and then thrown at the base of the altar. This is a sacrificial symbolism that Christ's death on the cross, when his blood was poured out, was a sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice in exchange for our lives, uh, his life for our lives. Uh, and that's where uh, Paul has, has left us just now in verse 13. And so now we hear about peace, for he himself is our peace. Uh, this is a, a very important statement and one that requires a little bit of thinking. Uh, most uh, obviously, you could think about uh, Isaiah 9, 6, which we reflect on at Christmas time. Uh, let me read that for you. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the Lord Jesus was born to be the Prince of Peace. He came into the world, this child who is born, to be given the government to be upon his shoulder. And for him to come into the world, this holy Son of God, born of the woman, he came in not to uh, eradicate us in his holiness. He came to bring us peace uh, and to give us uh, access to God the Father in peace. So in verse 14, it starts with what's translated, for he himself is our peace. And there are times when you want to think about why it is that they say he himself. Uh, one reason you say that is contrast. Uh, so you'll say, uh, well, that person does this, but he does this in contrast, somebody, he himself. So there's a contrast being drawn between two parties. So on the one hand, this person, on the other hand, he does this. So it's a contrast between two. That's the most common use of that contrast. But the other is personal involvement. And that's what we have here. He personally. So the Lord Jesus Christ didn't put on his rubber gloves and his galoshes and his, his hazmat suit and come to earth and say, I don't really, you know, I'll do my best for these folk, but I really want to keep my distance uh, because this is, this is something that, you know, I really don't want to be contaminated with. But the Lord is personally our peace. He has taken upon it himself to become our peace with God and with one another. 
Uh, this is quite an interesting uh, reflection if you look at this verse. For he himself is our peace, and he's made both one. The question is, with whom is the peace? Is the peace with God, or is it with one another? Uh, particularly the Old Testament saints who were at arms, in a sense, the Jewish folk at the time of the coming of Christ, with the Gentiles, these unclean Gentiles that they could have no fellowship with. So which is it? Is it peace with God or peace with uh, one another? And the answer is, it's with one another. A little bit surprising, uh, because then with one another, we both all together have peace with God, but that's the outcome of us first being reconciled with one another. Um, and this is, this is actually uh, what he means when he says, for he has made both one. Uh, and he has uh, made peace with the one by making us one. We're going to come back to that and understand what that one means. But first, let me just uh, ask you to think about the idea of peace, what it is and what it isn't. First of all, as you know, becoming a Christian does not mean escaping the hatred of the world or the troubles of this life. You know, there are times when people think that. They think Christ is a good tonic for the ills of your life. Well, brothers and sisters, he is. <laughs> He's the best tonic by bringing us peace, but not necessarily all escape from the trials of this life and the hatred of the world. So we still suffer the common curse, and he has brought us into fellowship with his resurrection. And what that means is we are being renewed in the inside. We're going to actually come back to that. It's in the text forthcoming in a very important statement. And if you want a, you know, a preview of what Paul is going to tell us, we are part of a new human race. He has remade the human race, and we are the beginning of it. We're the first fruits of a human race which will blossom in resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul is going to be telling us. Uh, but until then we still suffer the common curse until that blossoming takes place. Uh, Paul, for example, says, well, you know, regarding the resurrection, a seed doesn't uh, blossom until it dies first. So you have the idea you need to be raised from the dead, but that involves dying first. Uh, and so you, you don't take this as something unusual or unexpected. Nevertheless, it, it may be a trial, but we have peace in the meantime. We have this uh, peace. What is it? Well, it's not uh, escape from all trouble in the world. So that's, that's the point of what it's not. But what is it? Well, the first thing is the peace comes to us, Ephesians 4.3, as something that we are to maintain. This is interesting we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
This is a peace that he has brought about objectively. There is no more basis for any division in peoples of the world. We are all before God the same, and there's no warrant for anybody uh, cutting anybody out from the presence of God. I mean, he has made us all in his image, every single one of us. No matter who we are and where we come from, we're made in the image of God equally as human beings. And this is, a, this is something that we're going to see further as we go on. But this is the bedrock of biblical truth that we're building on. So this peace is a state of a peace among people who have in common no hope apart from God, no claim on God, they're without God in the world, and any enmity they have is foolishness in light of that more serious issue. And he has brought peace to us in the midst of this. He is the Prince of Peace, and he's given it to us. Now listen to what our Savior says in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Lack of fear. Peace in the midst of trouble and not being afraid. Not fearing what the world, the flesh, and the devil can do against you, but having peace in the midst of this life. That's what he gives to us. Notice, my peace I give to you. The Prince of Peace gives us peace. It's a, it's a gift that he gives to us. And then he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. I will be with you. You have my peace to uh, uphold you in the midst of all this. Freedom from fear, because our Savior protects us from all harms. Even though I die, yet will I live. <coughs> now I want to look at this phrase here, who has made both of us one. Now, in, in the original, the word one here, there's two options. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is kind of silly. There's two options for one, okay? <laughs> it's a two for one. <laughs> so uh, one can be masculine or neuter here. Well, it could be feminine, but it, it can be a masculine form. And if it's the masculine form, you're talking about a legal entity. Now, this is Galatians 3 in a passage we're going to come back to, and I'll read. And so that's, that's the idea there, is you're one person before God. You're this uh, unity of your person legally before the Lord. Um, but that's not what's happening here. It's unified, and so the term here in verse 14 is neuter. You're, and it's not you're one thing. You don't really want to think of it that way. But you're unified. You are brought together to be part of a new thing, but you are unified. You don't lose your individuality. You don't lose who you are in this new reality, but you're part of a new human race. And this is a new work of God. That's what he's 
done so that you now are united. So it's really just a way to talk about we're united together. We share in these things together. He has made us one so that we all together have the same benefits of Christ's work. No distinctions whatsoever as far as coming before the Lord and sharing in the rich heritage of life in God uh, that Jesus opens up for us. That's what he says by using that neuter form here. You're united in this. There's no separation and distinction anymore. And in particular, he has uh, broken down the dividing wall of hostility. There's no more hostility, uh, enmity. Uh, this word enmity, this is how you can translate that word uh, enmity. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, but you could render that enmity. And the opposite of enmity in the ancient world is friendship. Uh, enmity is uh, two countries at war. Uh, this is how that term was normally used. So two countries at war, uh, and what they would do if they resolved their uh, differences causing the war, they would adopt a, a covenant of friendship. Uh, and so the opposite of enmity is friendship. Uh, and then they would be uh, reconciled. But the problem with that is this covenant of friendship between two countries could also be broken again, and they're no longer friends. Uh, that's not what's going on here, though. Here, the opposite of enmity is we were alienated. We were alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and that's been changed. You now are fellow citizens with a claim upon the benefits of being citizens in the new creation. So there's no en enmity among us as citizens in the new creation. We are fellow citizens with the saints in light. That's what he's actually going to say later in our chapter. Uh, and so the opposite is enmity is peace and uh, sharing in this one united benefit in, in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so, he, and notice he's broken down the dividing wall. Brothers and sisters, there's a large group in America primarily of people who believe the Old Testament people of God are separated today with a different covenant than what we enjoy in the new covenant, that that old covenant with the ancient people of God of Israel still exists and God still honors that. Here's the problem with that. Verse 14, he's broken down the dividing wall. The dividing wall between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God has been broken down. There's just one unified people of God. Ours are the fathers. Ours are the matriarchs. Ours is the scripture. Ours is the Messiah according to the flesh. Yes, the Messiah according to the flesh came from Israel. We are to honor our fathers and mothers of the Old Testament. We are to read our Old Testament with a great delight that these are our folk. We have been brought into that family. 
We've been, we've been engrafted into that tree trunk. But now we're part of the tree trunk. Now this is all, these are our folk. This is our heritage now. Our, you know, the heritage you may have with your particular background, it's good, it's a good thing, celebrate it, but it's not ultimate. This is the ultimate one, is we are now engrafted into the heritage of the old covenant saints, the people who have gone before us and are delighted in the Lord extending his salvation out to even these Gentiles like us. Brothers and sisters, this dividing wall was needed because there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles in Paul's day. Uh, you know, I have several things I could read to you, uh, but they were regarded as people who were antisocial. Uh, they stood apart. Let me read to you just one. So this is a Gentile writing about the Jews. The Jews have long been in revolt, not only against the Romans, but against humanity, and a race that has made its own life apart and irreconcilable, that cannot share with the rest of mankind in the pleasures of the table, nor join in their libations or prayers or sacrifices, are separated from ourselves by a greater gulf than divides us from Susa or Bactra or the more distant Indies. So, India. <laughs> that, you know, the great gulf of geographical division. That's, the Jew, that's, that's one Gentile's view of the Jewish people. And here's the Jewish view. Peter in Acts 10, it's very interesting. It's a turning point in the history of the world. We, there are a lot of them <laughs> in the Bible, but it's one, it's, it's definitely one of them. And it's a turning point in that Peter has to get this vision of that sheet coming down with the uh, 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 bacon-wrapped shrimp crawling around up there. And he was told to eat it. And he said, I can't eat it. It's unclean and, you know, it's bad. Well, and it, and it turns out it was all about uh, going to see a man named Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit fell upon him in Acts 10. But interestingly, Peter opens that visit to, the, to this Gentile Cornelius and says, you yourself know how unlawful it is for me to associate with or visit a Gentile. That's what he says to Cornelius at the opening. This is Acts 10, 28. Where in the law is that stated, by the way? <laughs> That's a pharisaical add-on, believe me. That is not in the law. Uh, and, but that's what Peter was ingrained with. Well, after that episode with Cornelius, he's the one who boldly saw that God was bringing the Gentiles in. He testifies to the same episode in Acts 15, that great Jerusalem council where we, are, uh, we see that you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. Uh, and then it's even stronger in the temple. This is part of what influenced Peter. When he went to the temple, there was a uh, stone inscription on the temple wall that we now have, and you can read it, and here's what it says. No stranger is to enter into the balustrade around the temple, 
and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. <laughs> it tended to keep the Gentiles far off. Those who are far off brought near with that plaque taking people far off. Brothers and sisters, the unity of the church, Old and New Testament, is clear in this. There's no more dividing wall. And in Christ Jesus, there's no dividing wall possible with anyone in the church. This is something that, thank God, you don't see that in this church, but it can't ever crop up. And if it does, it's a most serious offense that would be dealt with. We have to have ultimate respect for everybody, no matter where they come from, because the love of Christ is shed abroad upon all Gentiles. I sometimes find it unfathomable that people from Europe think somehow we have a corner on you know, Christianity. It's just silly if you think about where our ancestors were when Christ came into the world. We are rank, utter pagans with no hope in the world. Here, I'm going to read to you from this Galatians 3 passage, because here's where that's stated very clearly. And he says one in the sense of one legal person. For you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Praise the Lord that he has included us into his marvelous inheritance in Christ Jesus. Praise our Prince of Peace who's brought us near that we might be united and one together in these great truths and these great privileges through our Savior. Let's pray. How can we thank you, O Lord, adequately for these wonderful truths of the peace that we enjoy. Fear is not our heritage, O Lord, but peace from this great Savior, the Prince of Peace, who took upon himself all cause of fear that we might have, and now we have hope and peace in him. We thank you, O Lord. May our unity here in this church abound. May our love for one another uh, abound all the more, O Lord. May we demonstrate the truths of these scripture, that we love one another, no matter where we come from, slave and free, male and female, that all are equally uh, one in Christ Jesus, have access to our Savior together, and are uh, your delight, and should be our delight as well. We thank you for these truths. We pray for your aid in living according to them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.